Hey guys, this is Kenny Wolf. I'm with Wolf Investments. Uh, we're a private equity real estate firm. If you want to learn about real estate investing, uh, listen to my good friend Sam Newell's uh, podcast, Recession Proof Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. Join your host, Sam Newell, as he educates you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. Hear interviews with the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they've learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become Sam's goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become recession-proof. Well, Kenny, thanks for jumping on the podcast. We're recording. We're live. So, um, Well, thanks for having me, Sam. Usually, I just kind of start talking about you and figuring out what's going on with you. And I know you have the Shreveport deal, but you have a ton of other deals you've done, a lot of experience. And I've heard bits and pieces at the Mastermind things that we've been been to together. And, and yeah. I'm super interested because you have, it seems like in the whole group, you have some some serious experience other than Glenn and Maureen and a couple other people. I, I feel like you're one of the most experienced operators in the group. Well, hey, I appreciate that. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a good group to be a part of. So Yeah. Yeah. So tell me what's going on with you right now. What what, what are you working on? So we got a lot going on. I'm looking at my my board. I've got a whiteboard up here in the office that kind of keeps track of what, what we're doing, uh, the new acquisitions anyways. But I mean, the first four months this year, we bought $57 million worth of multifamily. Um, $57 million. Yeah, $57 million. Um, everything from an A class to a D class. So we, we, we covered the gamut the, uh, the first quarter. Nice. Uh, kind of died down for us in May and June, the new acquisitions, and then it looks like we'll and we've got another twenty five million or so under contract right now um, in Texas and oh, Texas and Ohio. So, wow, those ABC class, what are those? They are two two Bs and a C, C plus. So <laughs> nice. Hey, I like that. And average, right? Um, yeah, that's awesome. How many doors are they each? Uh, one's one ninety two, others eighty eight, and the other is one forty eight. So all, all fairly big, big multifamily. And, and are they, so basically 20 to 30 year old units? Yeah, they were, two of them were built in the set late seventies and one is built in 98. So there's a newer one in there um, nice. in Columbus that we're working on. And then we're on the fourth project we've got going on right now. Um, that's about to kick off is we're about to do a development deal in uh, here in DFW. Well, it'll be five, 10 years in the growth path of Dallas Fort Worth. So we'll, we'll build about 80 to 84 multifamily units there. Up by Frisco or where are you building? Yeah, it's, it's almost Oklahoma. No, it's not really that far, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's starting to feel that way. But it's like a 35-minute drive to Plain, you know, south. Sorry, I'm sorry. What city is that in? Uh, it's in Gunter, Texas. Awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, building those fourplexes with the fourplex investment group, we were looking at Frisco and that whole north. DFW right. area, tons of growth going on. I mean, yeah, I mean, we were looking at in Frisco, and the, the, they want twenty bucks a foot for yeah. Frisco. So there's no way. <laughs> that's tough. That's yeah. tough. Well, cool. That's exciting. What are you developing? What kind of product? Uh, it'll be a garden style multifamily, two story. And we're gonna we will we'll fit eighty to eighty four units. I'm gonna try to squeeze eight four more units on there somehow, some way. So, but I think we can technically do eighty four. So we'll we'll see. Awesome. So. Are you syndicating from the beginning? Are you building and then syndicating the takeout? What, what's your plan there? Uh, we're, we'll syndicate this one too. It'll be uh, we'll we'll syndicate it to everybody to our investor group. Awesome! And right from the get go. Yeah, we, yeah, we're gonna pay cash for the land is the plan, and then uh, a little over a million bucks for the land, and then and then go to a construction loan to the local bank just to get it done faster. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm just gonna punch in some numbers because I'm looking at developing in Boise and Utah right now. We've okay. got an offer on 20 acres in Utah and I'll be up in Boise probably next week, write an offer on an 88 door piece of land that'll be entitled ready to, to go in October. So I'm just kind of curious about the differences. What, what's uh, you said about a million for the land. Yeah. Yeah. It's how it. many acres is that? Uh, it's 5.86. That's 170 an acre. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like four, it's four bucks a square foot is what we're paying. That's awesome. And you're going to have about 84 doors if you're lucky, you said? Yeah, yep. So you're getting 14 doors an acre. 
I'm just doing one more piece of math. 12,000 a pad. That's awesome, man. Those are some great numbers. What, what do you think you can build for in, in your area? Uh, so we're, so we have the budget already in already done, done up. We okay. should be all in about 190 unit. 190. Oh, oh no. Uh, 109, 109. 109, $109,000 per door. Per door, right. Awesome. That's awesome, man. Cool. Is that yeah, including be, uh, horizontal development? Yeah, that, that, that's all. And that's the land, the soft costs, the everything. And I might have to put some money in that deal. What are you, what are you going to rent those units for? We think we could easily get a dollar 35 a foot in rent. Nice. So it'll be, it'll be pretty nice. The, it's the, I was talking to another developer that's kind of in that mastermind, but they, he was saying that the, a lot of these developers are starting to realize that, that there's too many amenities at these properties, at these uh, brand new A-class stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And folks just aren't using them and they, they're starting to find that folks don't want to pay for that either. So, uh, so Ferris you're talking to? Yeah. Right. Huh? Is that Ferris you're talking to? No, no, no. Uh, Mr. Neil Bawa. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I was talking to him the other day. I was in, talking to a group in San Francisco the other day. So I had uh, lunch with him, but, uh, he was saying, yeah, the new, the new uh, shift is to do kind of a lower amenities. Um, we're still going to have an office, we'll have a pool, things like that, but not the big fancy like dog washing stations and all that yeah. movie rooms and video game rooms with all that kind of stuff you start you see. Yeah. You don't need the luxury workout rooms that nobody uses. Exactly. Right. So, I, so I, that, that's from what he was saying is <laughs> kind of the, the, um, the push now for these developers is to do kind of a lower amenity, uh, brand new uh, A-class stuff. You know, I, I would agree and disagree with that. I think both are needed, but you know, the fourplexes we built were bare bones. Like most of them don't even have a pool and it, they sold really well to investors and they rent really, really well as well. Other than the building quality wasn't there, but that's something any developer can fix if he wants to. So yeah, man, there's a huge, in my mind, a huge market for these A-class non-luxury units. And I love that you guys are doing that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So the, and then they'll have granite and the nice, you know, all that kind of stuff, all the nice okay. finish out. They don't have the Globo gym. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's still a market for that if you can. Sure. If you're in the right area. Portably, right? You know, you don't have to go crazy, crazy, like A-plus luxury, like Tempe, Arizona style. Right. Um, okay. But you know, I'm taking, I'm helping a builder build in Boise right now. He's a big builder in Utah and it's going to be luxury A class, but not like high, high end. It's going to be just like you're saying, there's going to be a pool in a clubhouse, but so it's not like low end. It's not bare bones like these other builders are doing. It's not high end luxury either. And I've, I've probably sold 50 of those townhomes for this builder and okay. they rent out so well. I love that product. So that's really cool that you guys are doing that. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It'll be fun. When do you think you'll start being able to lease units out? They're telling me it's going to be like a 12 to 14 month, you know, target to start getting some units ready to lease out. So I, I, I believe that around here, they, we've got some, we have, we got a great labor pool here in Texas. So. Awesome. Yep. That's exciting, man. That's way cool. So you're going to be syndicating that. Is that a 506C you'll, you'll be doing? Maybe, maybe not. We've got to figure that out first. So may have that okay. yeah, a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. So, I mean, that's, is that your first development project? Have you done others? We're actually wrapping up one right now that we did, we're doing, which should be four to six weeks from being completed. It was townhomes. I didn't take any other outside investors because I didn't know what I was doing. So I, I we built some townhomes. We're, we'll sell them. We only built six, but they were right across the street from one of our syndicated deals, multifamily deals we did years ago. So it was uh, plan B was if the market tanked while we were building them, we could just rent them out from across the streets. So. Nice. I like that. Great exit strategy. Yeah, it was nice. There's already zoned townhomes. So I just had a re, four townhome lots. And we, we, uh, we, uh, we did a replat with a city to six. So it was a pretty, pretty easy deal. That was, and that's kind of what I was looking for from a first development deal was you know, a bit of a layup. So. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I didn't do that, unfortunately, with my first development deals and <laughs> went straight for, straight for an 88 unit deal and that got denied by the city. And then since that guy got denied by the city, we decided to go to 257 door this uh, deal and that one got approved. So okay, I don't know why we just went big, you know, that was in yeah. Boise. Go big or go home, right? Yeah. And I went home on the first one, but, but I learned a lot. That's for sure. So I'm, I'm curious, what did you learn on this first deal that you did that you weren't really confident 
in your experience, but it sounds like it turned out all right. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna make some pretty good money on it. The when we sell them, the the biggest deal because you know we've been buying existing buildings for over eight years, you know now. So mm-hmm. I was used to that part of it um, and the operation side, but actually working with the architects, the engineers, the city, um, all those things was completely new from what you know what we had done in the past. So that that was right. really a big learning curve. So now we've and we have that down. We've got the team teammates and the teams in place to, to do this much bigger deal. And, you know, working with the city was interesting. That, that was uh, new for me. So, And what was the hardest part or the biggest learning curve in working with the city or doing a development? Well, the biggest, the biggest hurdle we had was, was, the, was, the, was the dang foundation. It, it rained so much earlier this year in Dallas that we couldn't get a break. And it, it pushed us back, I think, two months. Yep. On, on pouring the slab because all the rain we had this year. So that was the biggest setback. I don't know. The rest of it was, I mean, we learned a lot along the way, but a lot of it was just because we weren't, hadn't been done, hadn't done development at all before. Right. <laughs> when you're running the numbers on this new deal, because I'm doing that right now in Boise, I'm just kind of curious. Are you doing like a straight split? Are you doing a pref? What are you thinking for this next deal? Um, I'm actually talking to, to Gene Trowbridge right now because this is again this is since I'm uh, since we're going to syndicate this deal it's a new it's a new thing for our for me and investors and on all that so trying to find a happy medium because usually we don't charge upfront fees for our existing multifamily but we also don't do a prep so that's what our group is used to but with building we're going to have to charge something upfront because we're going to be running a lot of man hours and, and yeah. headache and work on this so it's a little bit different. Um, on that setup. So we're still going through it, but there's, there'll be a builder's fee and then some kind of prep and waterfall probably is how we'll have to do it. Got it. Okay. I'll have to talk to you more about that. Gene's great as well. So on the, but I'm curious on these other existing units you buy, it sounds like you're not doing a prep. You're doing a straight split. Is that right? Yeah, we just do a straight 80, 20 split and no, no upfront fees. So we're, you know, I've, I've ran the math. I mean, our you know sponsors that do the uh, the more normal way is the upfront fees, the prep, and the waterfalls. We make about the same amount of money. It's just it's just paid out differently and at different timing. So I prefer to delay the gratification on the acquisition fee myself because what that means is that we have much better cash flow during the hold period. Um, and since we like to buy and hold long term, it makes us that we're always aligned with our investors. And then. Then we make pretty good money on the sale too. So, but it's, but also too, like during a downturn, we actually had, I had a group come in to the office a couple of years ago, but they had, um, they started out in 2005, 2006, and we're doing acquisition fees. And then 2008, 2009 hit, and they were having to pay their payroll, the office rent, the lights, all that stuff, their overhead out of acquisition fees. And so all of a sudden for those two years, they couldn't buy anything because lending dried up. So then they had to lay everybody off and basically reset in 2010. Um, so, so that, that's something I, you know, other, other deal sponsors, I tell them like, make sure you've got cash flow coming in because if, because you, one, you don't want to buy, um, it, what happens if you can't buy a deal? And also and then two, you don't want to be forced to buy a crappy deal just to pay the, pay the overhead. So that's kind of why I look at it, but it, it, it's nice. We have much bigger quarterly cash flow distributions to our company and it smooths out, smooths out the, any kind of, you know, we don't have to buy a deal ever again in our lifetime. So in my lifetime, so that's nice having to be able, you know, be able to just, you know, have the cash flow and not the so much upfront fees. You know, I really like that. And for our listeners that maybe don't understand everything that he just said, one thing that I think it's important to focus on is making sure to put the, the clients and the investors first. Oh yeah. And the last thing that you want to do, and I've already seen this, I've been part of syndication, the syndication world for a short time now, but I've been interested in it for years and years. And I've seen people doing deals that I'm like, man, I don't know that it seems like they're forcing it. And it makes a lot more sense when you're saying they've got this overhead and they need an acquisition fee, just like realtors. I'm a realtor. So I can make, you know, talk bad about us. Sometimes we really need that commission. And so we're forcing deals on people. And it sounds right. like that's the last thing that you want to do. And so you've set it up to just remove that temptation or that barrier. Right. Yeah. 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 We take out the upfront fees. I think it makes everybody happy. I was, I started out as a passive investor too. So mm-hmm. I, I prefer deals where there's no upfront fees and I think deal sponsors should be paid because it's a lot of work and you know, they, they're taking the risk and everything and put their name out there on it. But, but at the same time, you want to make sure you're always aligned with, with the person driving the boats. That's huge. So no, no acquisition fee, no asset management fee either? 
We do an asset management fee because again, to keep the lights on. So that's a point and a half of the monthly collective revenue. And then there's just the 80-20 split on the profits. Wow, that's awesome. So, I mean, I'm seeing people charging five points on gross income. It's like, look, I'm, I, I just turned 38 two days ago. So we're doing this for the long haul. So we're, we're you know, we're, we're probably more fair to the investors than, than to us. And that's fine. You know, I'd rather that than do this long term than not. That's awesome, man. Happy birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you. 38, <laughs> huh? Big 38, you know. That's awesome. Well, I'm 34. So in four years, I got a lot of catching up to do to where, to where you're at. But no, I love that because really that, that's what this is about. And I've taken that approach with my real estate business where if, if it doesn't make sense, if it really doesn't feel like it's the right thing for my investors, then I'm not going to push it. And I'd right. much rather lose a commission than have someone buy something that I, I don't feel is a good investment. And in fact, that's how I found you and, and Rod Cleef and a few other people, you know, the, that mastermind group is I took a step back from my real estate business last year. And I said, you know what, I'm selling a huge amount of fourplexes, duplexes, townhomes, all these investment properties, sold 106 of them last year. And nice. it was fun. It was great. And I felt like we only bought good deals for my clients, but I wanted to really make sure that they were buying <clears throat> the most recession proof investment out there because I saw these prices go crazy high and you've seen it too. Right. It just made me nervous. And so I, I, I took a step back and said, you know, what is the best deal for my clients? What's the best deal for me as an investor? Excuse me. And I always have my investors invest in whatever, whatever I'm buying. So you just closed on a, on a Shreveport deal, a couple of other deals. I mean, tell me why maybe you would agree or disagree that buying these large multifamily deals are so much more or so much less risk than buying a duplex or a townhome or a fourplex as a rental property if a downturn does come again. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, so we're we're actually looking to liquidate all of our properties that are under 75 units. So like we were we're we're looking at we've got a 56 unit property down in Arlington, Texas. It's a great location, good little deal, built in the early 80s, but you know, I don't want to even on 56 units, if you have two people move out, that's, a, that's or two, say two and a half people uh, move out, whatever. I mean, that's a 5% hit, you know, three to 5% yeah. hit on your occupancy. So the smaller the units, you know, if you have a duplex and one of them moves out, you're 50% occupied. How do you cover the mortgage, right? Exactly. Um, so, so anything under 100 units these days, we're, we're mostly passing, uh, passing on, unless it's right next to, like if it's a neighbor to one of our existing properties. Then, uh, then, then I'll break that rule. But we're trying to get anything under 100 units off our really 75 because we bought a 76 unit deal that that, that we're going to keep but, and do a refinance on. So 75 units and below, we're we're going to uh, get rid of because of that, um, the because of the vacancy risk. And it, the, the more the smaller the units that you have, the higher the vacancy risk. So that's really the biggest thing I, I see. No, that's huge. So you basically, in a nutshell, you said you said two things. You said. I want to mitigate my risk of vacancy, my vacancy risk by having economies of scale. I want right. to be able to manage a facility. And so that's why you'd have one closer to a larger facility because you get that economies of scale by having managers close by, but also the risk factor of, of vacancy. One or two people move out of a 403 unit, let's say the one in Shreveport that you own. Right. That's not that's not very worse. Yeah, you know, yeah, we don't even hear about that. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, we don't even hear about the two units that move out. So the you know the, we just don't feel it on that property at all. Exactly. And so our friend Grant Cardone, I say our friend. I, I mean, I wish I was friends with him, but good old Grant Cardone. He, he says, you know, don't buy less than sixteen units. You're crazy if you buy less than sixteen units. Yeah. And I agree. Like I'm selling all my single families right now except for some of the, the two townhomes I'm buying, I'm buying two more townhomes. They're the most risk-free, low-maintenance rentals I've ever had. But all of my other single family, my triplex, I'm selling all of them to put into syndication right. because it's true. Like even under, And you're saying don't buy anything under 75 doors right. because of those same reasons, because of the mitigating the vacancy risk and, and being able to take advantage of economies of scale. And I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, and that, and that size too. It's, a, it's another piece of that is that is that below you know in Dallas Fort Worth below sixty units. It's really tough to have that professional management you know 
to handle all the day-to-day stuff. So if you're, if you buy a 20, 30 unit deal, you're kind of in no man's land. You can't afford to have a full-time staff for sure. And you yep. can't afford to have a third-party management. If they do, it's going to be like 8%, which is crazy yep. uh, compared to what we're doing on our properties on the on management fee. And then, and then you're stuck in part of the day-to-day because you can't give it all covered. So you can't grow your portfolio, which is the whole reason why we do multifamily because it is scalable. So if you buy a 20, 30 unit deal, I, I tell folks, it's like buying a boat. There's two good days when you buy it and you sell it. <laughs> be a lot of fun. So anyways, but I guess you'll have highs and lows, but the bigger property is nice because if you can afford the third party company, uh, that's the way to go. Cause I mean, I still don't know how to evict anybody and we've done like 3,700 units and I, you for sure don't want me changing out your toilet. So, um, but we've got folks that do that for us. Right. And that, that, that allows me to focus on building the portfolio. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you're not a uh, super good at evictions. You've never done an eviction. You've got that third party management, changing the toilets, doing everything for you. And that's the other reason I hate. I mean, even though I, I have property managers for most of my units, I, I somehow they still get my info. Somehow I still get sucked into these deals or or the, the biggest thing, in my opinion, is you can't afford to control the property manager when they only manage one or two or three or five or 10 doors for you because they're their own company. When you're hiring this third party manager to do 400 doors, they're going to listen to you. And, and I have to coach all the time these property managers that my clients hire that I hire. And most of the time they don't want to do it my way. And, and I end up getting less rent or my clients end up getting less rent and it's pretty frustrating. So would you say it's a lot easier to help persuade these third-party property managers when you have a bigger unit? Yeah, it definitely does. And then, so about a little over a year ago, I also bought a large stake into a management company to, to make sure my voice was really heard. Because because uh, we, we use this a lot of the third-party management companies here in town and DFW. And I would have to, I'm, I've got an accounting background. So I would have to, I would always catch stuff on their accounting, like CapEx that should be below the line or I don't know, something, I would always find something. So finally I decided, you know what, I either need to create one, which I, which I knew going into that, that, that I was no way I was going to create it from zero because that's, that's an 80 an hour a week job to get oh, it yeah. off. And so oh, thanks. So, thanks. so I just bought into one. It's more expensive, but much better way to go. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. You know, and we're looking to do the same thing. Lyndon, my, my buddy and partner that you just met, he's a CPA. So you guys are very similar that way. But we're looking at, you know, who do we strategically partner with? And we're looking in Albuquerque, New Mexico, all over Utah, Boise, and Texas, your area. And we have a property manager who has 5,600 doors under management. He owns about half of those himself. And it's, it's perfect because he, he, you know, no one really talks back to him. It, since he's the owner of the units and the property management company, it gets done right. Right. And that's another thing that's so hard on those smaller complexes is you're either self-managing or you're just at the mercy of the property manager. I mean, I've had horror stories. I have these clients that bought the same exact townhomes as me in Lehigh, Utah, in the Silicon Slopes where there's 2% vacancy and they had three months of vacancy, you know, 25% vacancy last year. And, you know, I would, I would go shop that property manager and they would take two and three days to call me uh, who was an interested renter back. And, you know, it's just, there's horror stories like that all the time. So it, it's really hard to scale and, and have a safety factor built into those small units. Right. But you got to start somewhere. So where did you start? You didn't start with a 403 apartment complex. No, we started with 76. <laughs> oh, that's still pretty big. Nice. So tell me about that one. Yeah, zero to 76. So that deal, we actually, we still own. We, it was a, a early 80s build deal. So real nice. Uh, the guy had already fixed it up. So we were, it was supposed to be a yield play. We bought it in 2012, and so it's turned into a both a yield and a massive value gain. So, so actually, the, we just voted to. We've got about a four million dollars worth of equity in the property. We raised 825k for the deal, and so we got four million dollars equity in the deal. But we've already returned a million and a half of money to the investors, and so we already have all of our money out. But so our basically it was down to the decision we made a few weeks ago was either sell it, pull out the four million if we sell it. Um, obviously, capital gains, and then the IRS calls back the create the depreciation if we took, um, or we, we could refinance and call it two million. Although that meant holding it for another probably seven years. And so, um, two of the investors wanted to sell it; the rest wanted to keep it and do the refinance. So we were we're probably about two three weeks away from pulling out two million 
um, off the 825k initial <laughs> initial uh, equity raise. So. And that's important thing you said there. That's a non-taxable event, right? Exactly right. So we've got we will have that at shielded for as long as we hold, own this property. That two million bucks. So investors will get back the two million. I'll, I'll hold some back for rainy day funds since it's a long longer term hold again, seven years. Yeah, um, and probably another hundred k to figure out how we can do either more upgrade units or streamline the expenses to to make sure that after the two years of interest only, we're getting the that mortgage payment doesn't hit our cash flow amount too much. Awesome. I'm giving you a verbal high five, man. That sounds like an awesome deal. <laughs> your your investors are getting an infinite return at this point. All their money's back out. Right. It's pure cash flow, zero risk. It's a non-recourse loan, I'm guessing. Yeah, Fannie Mae loan, you know, right off the bat and then we'll we're going into a new Fannie Mae loan. I mean, that that's my dream. I'm getting like all tingly just thinking about that. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I, I dream about this nightly or daydream about this daily. Just, oh, someday I'll find a 76-unit deal that I can pull all of my investors' money back out and they'll just, we'll be best friends forever because that's right. the only deal that they'll, or investment they'll have that is an infinite return. And right. that's amazing. That's huge. That's so cool. Yeah, we get some great uh, Christmas presents. So. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah. They better. Yeah. So that was your first deal. That's kind of a home run, man. I mean, that's, was it easy though? I mean, were there any difficulties getting getting into that deal? So at that time in 2012, we were just coming out of, you know, the, the lending was kind of just thawing out. So the, the loans were a little more, a lot more difficult to get than today. And then the uh, equity raise was a little bit more difficult, but the deal, I mean, that we bought that deal as a, I think it was an eight cap on actuals, you know, on, and it was on the market. Everybody else saw that deal, you know, so we're, you know, today it's a different story. Now, now it's now it's the loans are easy and the equity is pretty easy. But the but the deals you got to really hunt for the off market stuff these days to actual you know make them work. You do. It's it's hard. It's hard to find a good deal. So you said you. I think you have three under contract right now. Yeah, and, and yeah. So they're, they're all three were off market. One was truly off market. The others were off market in broker speak. So four or five of us probably saw it before it was actually you know. And, and then we have under contract, so it never went to open market. And then early this year, all four that we bought were um, off market with one of those being a direct from a seller to me, no broker involved. So um, awesome. Awesome. Uh, that's what we're focused on is the off market stuff these days. Yeah. It's really hard to compete, man. That So I was just competing on a deal in Provo, Utah, and we got it before it hit the market. We looked at it. We wanted to make an, oh, excuse me. We wanted to make an offer. And, you know, the broker said it was a five cap, you know, and again, I'm a broker, so I can criticize us, but brokers are never accurate. <laughs> um, we ran the numbers. It was a 3.8 cap. So we, we figured out what price we could offer and we had a, an LOI ready. And, you know, we were going to send in the LOI that the day that he sent it to market, he put it to market. And then he had these firms from San Francisco, these family offices writing above asking price offers. And oh, wow. You know, it's it's hard to make a deal pencil at a three cap. I don't know how these yeah. family offices are doing it. I think they're just putting mostly cash down, right? Very little financing. But holy cow, it's that was a bummer. It was a it was a solid solid deal. My partners and I were so excited. But right. you know, it's you know when I train these real estate agents and I teach them how to cold call and prospect and our favorite word, you know, that you just have to remember is next. You just got to go to the next one. Keep right. going. Don't fall yeah. in love with the prospect. Don't fall in love with the deal. How many deals are you guys going through, do you think, until you actually buy one? So we have, we have two interns every summer at the office. And so they were doing, it was about 100, 100 deals to find one that was, you know, decent. So it's, I mean, it's a massive amount of looking through. But then that's why I get interns every summer. To, one, I get to teach them how to underwrite. But two, they get to underwrite a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. So. <laughs> that's me. awesome yeah you got to do it once and then they get to do it a hundred times to find one good one exactly. that's the way to do it so. well that's about where we're at as well we're we're you know it's hard because i'm still full-time commercial broker in salt lake building stuff in boise so it might take me a little bit longer to find a good deal to get through those hundred bad ones right um, but you know we've been doing this for eight months analyzing deals really hard we've raised money for a Dallas deal and for a couple other deals, but man, it's hard to find a good one. But I think, I think investors appreciate that. I'm kind of curious what your investors think. Do they get impatient sometimes? Are they kind of chomping at the bit to invest their money because they, 
yeah. obviously have gotten amazing returns with you so far. Yeah, we get those calls too. And, and but you know, because it is so competitive here in like DFW and other markets like that, we, we mostly focused on this past, I guess, year, 18 months, we bought a whole bunch in El Paso because um, not a lot of folks go out there or, or can't right now because it's, that's an interesting market. There's really not any third-party management company out there. And it's mm-hmm. a city of a million people. And it's because like six bigger families own 80% of the units in El Paso. And they oh. all self-manage. They don't do third party. And so so I was able to break in because I own my own management company. You know, I said, hey, we'll El Paso. So, uh, so that was a good one to break into. Uh, Shreveport was a good market that we're in. That's again, that's a market a lot of folks overlook because it's, you know, it's Louisiana. It's Northwest Louisiana. I think they kind of overlook it. Just yeah. don't tell anybody about that one. I'm trying to buy a deal there right now. Well, the, the, I mean, right now, it's going to be massive, but there's a REIT going to do a billion dollar opportunity zone development in downtown Shreveport. Holy cow. You haven't looked at, look up that article. It's massive. I don't know how they're going to make money on it, but it's going to make us look good in Shreveport. Uh, <laughs> the deals that we already own. So I love that. No, I love it when other people, I mean, they're, Neil Ball was doing a huge one in Proba right now. And same thing. I'm like, uh, how exactly is he going to make money on this deal? But okay. He's a, he's a really smart guy, smarter than me. So I'm sure he's going to make money, but yeah. Yeah. Some of these OZ deals, I just, obviously I don't get it, but. So we're going to markets that a lot of folks don't like. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That being the, so like we're, we've got another deal in Cleveland we're looking at, you know, a lot of folks don't like Cleveland. They, but. uh, Tim Brotz loves Cleveland. Who does? Tim Bratz. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah. And well, so then Tim's actually convinced me to, to look Cleveland because we've, we've owned it in Columbus for four, four years now. And, you know, when I, when I saw his post, like, so I cornered him at one of the masterminds that explained yeah. Cleveland, Ohio to me because I don't get it. You know, being from Texas, I don't understand Cleveland. And so, uh, so anyways, we sat down and talked about it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I, I flew up to Cleveland for a day or two. And I've got family from central Ohio. So I, I've been to Cleveland a few times, but not with the idea of like buying multifamily. And so, but you see the development there, the white collar jobs coming back. I mean, it's, it's impressive. So, but it's a town where, I mean, this deal we're buying is at a true like eight and a half cap rate. I mean, no, no, no smoke being blown there. It's that's a real, I mean, and basis is 32 a door and the rents are the last 15 rents are like five ninety five a month. Wow. What's the occupancy? uh, 93%. Whoa. I mean, so it's a, no, no major city. Are you finding those kind of cap rates and that kind of, it's, it's a C plus deal and it'll stay a C plus deal, but we're buying it for the cash flow, you know? So, yeah, that's awesome, man. Love it. Okay, cool. Well, you know, the name of the podcast is recession proof real estate investing. I feel like we're near the top of the market, if not already at the top coming down the other side a little bit. I think that's a very debatable topic. Sure. What what are you guys doing to recession proof your investments? What what kind of underwriting? What kind of maybe nest eggs are you putting away, or or what exactly does your group do to to be ready for the next recession? Yeah, so what we're doing is we always have rainy day funds for all of our properties. So we've got a whole bunch of cash, which I hate because it just doesn't make much money. But whatever, it's it's better to sleep better at night, right? So uh, oh yeah, so a bunch of cash on each of our properties to sit in at Chase. So Chase really likes me, but yeah. Um, so we're, so we do that. Um, also too, we want to make sure that our leverage isn't too high. So going in, we want to make sure our leverage is pretty, is lower than what our many competitors are doing. Um, okay. We, we don't feel it, feel it as much. So we've assumed a couple of Fannie Mae loans. Um, there were lower leverage deals, but they made sense because we got a discount off the purchase price because we had to assume their loan. Right. So, um, when we did you say lower leveraged, are you 65%, 60%? 65 on a few of those and but some of them are taken out at 80 percent just because they're great deals um, and they're solid properties if they're and their rents are under market by like 100 bucks just you know turning the unit with better management so, um, right. so that, it just depends on the deal i guess but we, we, we do look at uh, median income is a big deal we look at right around our properties um, that's a big deal for us and so the most of our deals where we find them whether it's a one-to-one ratio of the median income to the purchase price per door, they've been home run deals. So that, that that's gonna those kind of deals that we're finding, um, we're, we're buying. That's that that's because our basis is so low, we'll be able to ride through any kind of of uh, recession. I, you know, I was talking to people. We've got our we've got our annual investor event uh, this weekend tomorrow actually uh, in oh, Plano. Cool. 
I've already gotten questions on on from from the group there about this. So, and I was an economics major at Baylor, so I could talk about this forever. But the, I mean, I think this recession is going to be ultra light. Uh, the issues are outside the U.S. at this point, so I think we'll feel it. But it's going to be, I think, in like a nine month, you know, a nine month recession, and I don't think it's going to be near as big as uh, two thousand eight, personally. So, but that, I mean, I think that's that's good if you're a long term investor, even going through two thousand eight. You know, if you bought in 2007 and you held on and were smart and held on, didn't freak out, uh, uh, you know, then, then you would have made money, you know, going through that recession. I'm Absolutely. sure you lost some sleep in those two years. But, but other than that, I mean, you're, you know, so as long as you're a long-term investor and you're finding good value, the properties that you're, you know, buying today, uh, I mean, I, people have been sitting on the sidelines for two, three years thinking the recession was going to be any day now. Um, and they've missed out on a lot of good deals that, that, that we found. Yeah. Um, and, and have dug up. So, no, that's huge. I think you're right on. And of course, we'll we may both look like fools here in a in a yeah. while, but but I agree with you. I don't feel I don't feel this crazy crazy stupidity happening like it did back in 2007 2008. As far as people buying stuff that they should never qualify for, there's still some people maxing themselves out leverage wise, and I. That's sure. mostly in the single family world. I think there's some multifamily people doing it doing it as well. Right. There's no stated income loans right now. I mean, there is. There's one, but it's 15% interest and 35% down. And right. So that, that that's the thing. I think you're right. And and unfortunately, I keep telling my wife, man, I hope there's a big recession because we're ready for it. We're we have so many investors that trust us. We have a great track record. And and I would love to take advantage, just like your 2012 property, you know, be able to buy at a 60% or 30%, 40% discount. I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't think so either. I, it, don't it, wait, it, right? Yeah. Well, and I think the, the big reason is because interest rates were going to remain low, I think, for a long time because the big debt run up was on the on a national level. So not just the US, but China, Europe, you know, Russia, all, they all ran up their debt, right? So and all those countries set their own interest rates. So if you ran up your credit card and you could set the interest rate, what interest rate would you run on that? <laughs> possible, right? So I, I mean, I think that's going to be a, a, a big boost for real estate owners. I think it's not going to be a, we're not going to feel it as much, I don't think. Well, and let's take it a step further. If you bought a multifamily unit conservatively, you didn't over leverage and your underwriting is such that you can be 10, 15% vacant without any issues. I mean, let's be real here. I don't know if you studied the numbers during the 2008, 9, 10, worst part of the recession, but in Boise, Idaho, the worst vacancy got was 7%. That was average. Right. Yeah. Utah yeah, we- was the same or even better. I mean, and then rents in Utah didn't even change for the, the A class they did. But if you bought a, a non-luxury A class, a B class, or a non-ghetto war zone C class. <laughs> right you were absolutely fine in the recession. And so the people that are affected are the ones in these luxury condos, large homes that are too big for them if they lose their job or the war zone D class for people that just move out and go move in with mom and dad if they get evicted. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, you'll, you know, it's, it's nothing's fully recession proof. You're going to feel a little bit of heat, but it's, it, um, everybody needs a place to live. Right. Um, so if they're, if they get foreclosed on in their house, but they got to move to an apartment, right or they or move out of mom and dad's house that they're not going to go buy a house most likely they're going to go, they're going to go rent so yeah i think it's a great asset class and then yeah other also too i mean and the great thing about it is this it, we're getting these awesome loans uh, low interest rate loans yeah. um, but other people are paying off these loans for us right I mean, it's just a phenomenal asset class that you can you know pull out a refinance and have a two million dollar refinance like on that deal and in five seven years someone else has paid that off for us so not only did we get tax shielded two million dollars for seven ten years however long we hold that property but someone else is paying down that two million bucks yeah i mean it's in, no other asset class really does that as as well as as multifamily. so yeah you know it's funny i have all these clients that'll sit down with me and okay they're going to buy a fourplex but they're not sure if it's going to beat what they can make in the stock market and and so you know they'll look at the cash on cash return it's like five to six percent and then I'll ask them how much they make in a year and we'll calculate their tax savings. Then we'll calculate their renter paying down their mortgage plus appreciation. And, and pretty soon their eyes get wide and they're like, Oh, right. I'm going to make about double what my stockbroker makes me. 
right? With without any real risk to speak of, as long as you have that contingency fund. And right. it's so fun watching the light bulb go off. And that's <laughs> what the duplex, fourplex, you know, there's ways to buy those where it's still very low risk, right. not optimal. But then you move into these large multifamily and they're non-recourse loans. Your your credit isn't pulled to, to, to qualify for these these loans. And to me, it's just so much lower risk with really only massive upside. Right. Yeah. As, I mean, as, and also too, I mean, as long as you have a, like a long-term hold, right. If you're a, and we tell, I'll tell a new investor all the time. They come to us. Like, I'm not a flipper. If you want to like, you know, buy it and be out in two, three years, I'm not your guy. Yep. That's, that's to me, well, one, it's riskier, but two, it's, it's, you're missing out on the, the tax shield. Yeah. Um, that's a big, you know, that's, that's a big pillar of how, why we do what we do, you know? That's huge. And it's funny. I had a call this morning with an investor. He said, well, if you can't give me a 20% IRR, I'm not interested. I said, perfect. Because if you're not impressed with 15, which is what this deal I was pitching him was, uh-huh. I don't want to work with you because well, 15 is work- pretty darn good. That's not even counting tax, tax shelter. Right. Yeah. When you also, you got to watch out that they know what IRR really means. Cause that's a, that's a, you know, that's a long equation, and and actually, and that can actually be you can actually you can manipulate that uh, equation. So, I, so we actually don't use that very often up here at our office. We just do total return. Uh, you can compare apples to apples with that. Yeah, my problem is is uh, it's extremely complicated to calculate IRR. I feel like I understand it, but I'd rather not use it. The thing right. is, is when you're trying to sell a fourplex or you're trying to get someone to invest into a fund or a syndication with you, other people are touting these 20% IRRs. Right. And so you got to at least have something to advertise to people. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. So we, so we advertise a total return. Um, that's yeah. how we do the total return over five years projected to be, you know, X. I mean, we, we, we shoot for over a hundred percent, you know, so that, that makes us around 17 to 20% IRR usually. Yeah. Uh, the deals, but but IRR, like I said, you can because then part of that equation is uh, what that investor can put could have put their money in and what what interest rate what return they could have made. I don't know if that's zero or eight or twenty. I mean, who knows, right? So so who right. to pick that? <laughs> so you know, I mean, it, to me, it's a little bit of a phantom number. It is. It is. No, I, I like that. I like total return, and and I do love sitting down with people and showing them, especially if they're a real estate professional. I have all these people that. I know that are making 200,000 to a million, 5 million a year as a realtor and they're not really investing. And I'm like, guys, you're a real estate professional. You can be writing off all of the CapEx, all right. of the depreciation. Yeah. And, and you see these light bulbs go off and they're like, Oh yeah, no, I need to start investing. Don't I? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. The real estate professional, you know, status is, is definitely a huge benefit. Huge. And so is, you know, in 2017 tax code change. So you can, Right off all capex. I'm not a CPA, but um, I mean that's wow. another huge one. Yeah. So we were doing uh, so we do cost segregation studies on all of our deals, and and last year we owned a property for 10 days in 2018. So we closed December 21st, which is not ideal. Don't don't try to do that. But we owned it for 10 days in 2018, and if you invested 100k in that deal, you were able to write off 36 37 thousand dollars off your 28 <laughs> off your passive income because of cost segregation, right? So. I mean, it's amazing. Thirty-seven to we're seeing thirty to forty percent in the first year write-offs uh, to folks. So it doesn't offset your W two income, but it can offset other passive income. But check with your CPA. That's the asterisk we need to put there. Um, yeah, yeah. Check with your CPA. CPA. But, but that, that, that's how it's been working for us and, and our investors. So it's pretty awesome. Well, and explain to us really quick. So many people don't understand cost segregation. It's essentially depreciating your asset much faster than the IRS typically allows you to do, but explain to us really quick why that's so powerful. Let's say you buy this 403 unit complex in Shreveport, Louisiana that you just bought. Why, why would you cost segregate that? Well, so on the IRS, let's just um, straight line depreciate over 27 and a half years. So you take the, you know, the depreciable assets, not the land and you, and you just divide by 27.5 and then that's your regular uh, depreciation you can take. Well, cost segregation, you get a third party uh, come out engineer, and he figured out, you know, on the property, what, what has zero to five years left remaining six to 10. And then I think it's from or 10 to 15 and 15 and beyond. I, I may get those the later ones mixed up, but zero to five, you can write off, you know, cause the tax code change, you can write off the, write off that full zero to five years 
left that's remaining that has a lot of useful life. So that could be flooring, appliances, all kinds of stuff. So actually the older properties, you get write off more than like our, the A class we bought, you know, we, it was all brand new. So you, you can't write off as much, but yeah. uh, the B and C class deals, there's definitely more of a write off uh, for the cost segregation. It just speeds it all up basically. Um, and you're yeah. now. For example, he's going to go in there and say, Hey, you have 403 dishwashers, 403 water heaters, and 403 furnace and ACs. They're about at the end of their life, or they have three years left or so. So we're going to depreciate all of those over the next five years. Does that sound right? No, over the next one year. So like okay. everything that has zero to five years left remaining of useful life, you can write off today, like on in the first year of ownership. And then that's massive. I mean, that's huge. So yeah. 403 units. We haven't done it yet because we just bought it this year. But for 2019... Taxes, folks that invest in that deal are going to get a huge write-off. Dang it. I should have invested in that last <laughs> year. I right. really needed write-offs last year. Yeah, right. So, yeah, and then and they carry over, too, to the to yeah. that year, too. So, it's you know, that's another thing, too. If you miss out on offsetting it this year, just build up a whole bunch so you can keep using it. So. There you go. No, that's awesome. I love it. That's so powerful. Well, Kenny, we don't have much time left. I really appreciate what you know, you taking the time to, to spend with me on the podcast. I really believe there's a few good syndicators out there. There's a lot of syndicators, a lot of people doing things, but it feels like to me that you're buying the right assets. And for someone as experienced as me, it's easy to see that. For someone that's new, it's probably not. So I do appreciate you being on here, but tell people how to get in contact with you. What do you have going on? What can I market for you and, and push sure. for you? Because I do want people to reach out to you and at least ask what you have going on. Well, thanks, Sam, for the very kind words. I got to say that first. But uh, and it was great to be on the podcast today. We've got a co-host of a multifamily uh, investor network conference. We just had one in Houston and LA, and we're about to have one in Boston October 5th. So uh, mfinvestornetwork.com is, is where to hang out. We've got guest speakers like Rod Cleef, Gene Trowbridge, Neil Bawa, you know, a whole bunch of education piece to it. There's no like run to the back of the room and pay us $20,000. That's not what oh, this thank is. thank goodness. Yeah, we've had too many of those. So it's just education and networking. That's it. There's nothing to buy except for the ticket to get in. There's, we, we do, it's a plated food option. At, there's plated food for you at, for the folks so they can network uh, there. It's all about networking and education. So um, even the vendors that come out and sponsor it, they're, they, they're, they, there's, uh, they have breakout sessions where they cover an education piece to either insurance or management or mortgage brokerage, all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's nice to have that education piece to it as well. Um, so we've got that going on. To reach us, the best way is wolf with an e-investments.com. And then we're, all, we're on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. Catch us all at all the uh, social media places there. So Any last advice on how to be recession-proof and how to not get caught in the next recession? Be patient, I guess, is the biggest thing I would say. You know, you know, wait for the good deals to come. Don't don't jump on something that you know that um, you know doesn't scream a heck of a deal today. You know, be patient. You know, buy in markets where folks aren't buying right now. Like, in, I like the secondary markets because they don't have the big ups and downs like the, the bigger markets right now. So, right. on a lot of those, and you know, we're buying for cash flow and long term uh, growth uh, at the property. And so, if you're doing that, I mean you know, bring on the recession and we can ride it out. So I love it. I love it. Lastly, you're a family man. I mean, you're doing this to really be financially free. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but why are you doing what you do? Why are you so aggressive and taking, I think it's a fair amount of risk to be a leader and a thought leader and, and this guy that's running a huge organization and providing massive returns for your investors. But is it for your family? Is it to build a legacy? And, and tell us about your family really quick. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got a, a beautiful wife, a lovely daughter and a, uh, and a son as well. So in, in an awesome son, I should give him a good adverb there too. Adverb. The, but anyways, the uh, great, you know, the, it's awesome to have that, that family there. And, and that, that actually probably was the initial reason why I wanted to get financially free. And so, I, you know, I, I quit my W2 job, I guess, five years ago. I haven't paid my, myself a W2 since, but but really kind of grown into this. And now it's, you know, it's always been my passion to own my own business. And so that, that's really where it comes into to play. So I love coming to the office every day. Uh, like Warren Buffett says, I get a tap dance to work every day. So, mm-hmm. so I love what I do. I love finding deals. We're fortunate not to have to buy another one in my lifetime. And so we, tell me what you mean by that. So, cause we have, you know, for my family, we've got enough money 
coming in from our prior, the, all these assets you've already bought uh, to last, you know, way beyond my lifetime. So, uh, so we're good there. But so, so now, so, so, so now it's just for fun. You know, now we, now we get to do this and, and really kind of, I mean, imp- improve our investors' lives. And uh, that's really the goal is to get a lot of these folks out of the sophisticated investor checkbox to the accredited checkbox on these deals. So that's awesome, man. So held your boy and held your girl. Uh, Daughter is 10, almost 11. She's actually looking for her first investment property. Yeah. Um, she wanted to do make some money and she suggested lemonade stand and, or dog walking. And I said, you're thinking too small. So I gave her uh, the Rich Dad Poor Dad book to read. Uh, so now actually today at lunch, we had a meeting with a banker to figure out how to get her alone. Uh, so anyway, so that's awesome. That's cool. And then our son is 17 months old. So he's, it's a big gap, but so he's 17 months. Was that a, oh, whoops, or was that planned? Completely planned. He was the most expensive plan for a kid in the, in the history of mankind, but that's a whole wow. thing. So. <laughs> awesome. 17 months. That's, so that's, that's a pretty big gap, but that's kind of fun because sister probably takes care of little brother, right? Yeah. The poor guy's got two moms, you know, <laughs> and so he's not going to get away with anything. So, well, what do you guys do for fun? You're in, and cause you're in, in, in Texas. So yeah, I mean, we love to travel, especially in the summertime uh, out of Texas. So we were actually just in Salt Lake City, I think in May. Yeah. We got to check that out. That was awesome. Antelope Island is a hidden gem there. Yeah. Salt Lake. So we, we actually love that that uh, visiting out there. We spend a lot of traveling time in July. We travel a lot to see family in early part. And then we were in Portland checking that out up to late late July. But um, now school's back in. We'll travel less during the year. But sure. uh, that's kind of our, our hobby is to travel with the kids and everything. Awesome. Well, hey, I, I think we're about done. It sounds like you're I mean, my biggest thing, the reason I invest is for my family. I have a girl and a boy just like you. And I've had so many clients that are single moms whose the husband died and they've been left with nothing over the years. And that's a huge, huge pull for me. So I love that you're 38. You never have to really work more in your life. If you drop dead today, sounds like your wife and two kids would be just fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're they're, they're pretty set up. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, congrats. I really, that's very inspiring. (laughs) 